Hello and welcome to Culture Conversations. I'm Craig Foreman, your guide through the ever-evolving world of organizational culture. Here we engage in real, unscripted conversations with the changemakers actively shaping our workplaces. From innovative strategies to heartfelt insights, each conversation is a step towards making work work better for us all. Thank you for joining us and welcome to Culture Conversations. Hello and welcome to Culture Conversations. My guest today is Marta Riggins. Marta is quite literally one of the smartest and most inspiring people that I know when it comes to employee engagement and employee branding. Uh, she has a long track record with amazing organizations like Pandora, LinkedIn, and Instacart. And she has a truly special ability to combine marketing and employee experience um, in, a, in a creative process and bring that to life inside of organizations. She was the designer and owner of LinkedIn's Talent Connect Conference in 2017 and 2018. And now she consults to help organizations around this idea of employee experience and employee branding and how do we bring that to life. For me, I became aware of Marta while I was at LinkedIn and a friend of mine who knew of her work said, this amazing person just started at LinkedIn, you should meet her, Marta. And I saw her, I, I, she was on my radar, I saw her in the lunchroom. And I went up and we had a really great conversation. It was short, it was brief. And I was like, I need to get to know this person. And I spent the next two years trying to do just that. I had left LinkedIn. It was tricky to, 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 to connect, but I, I stayed with it. And eventually we connected, we started speaking, we did some work together through Coltramp. And as I suspected, uh, she is honestly one of the most informative, inspirational people in my professional life. Um, and I know that we will have a, a long time together. Uh, we've worked together on numerous, numerous speaking opportunities, including Culture First Global in 2019, and always somebody that I call in for support. Uh, in today's conversation, a couple things that we speak about. One is the evolution of employer branding, the rise of this field and how it's become a really critical component in today's workplace. The impact of layoffs and on employer brand and how companies can handle this, uh, especially thinking about their remaining employees and how do we how do we navigate through that in a healthy and human way. And the importance of employee engagement data to help shape employer branding and internal communications. So great topics, a great conversation, and I'm just really excited to get right to today's conversation with Marta Riggins. Welcome, Marta Riggins. Thank you for having me, Craig. I love I, I've got some videos of you, other things we've done. We do stuff like that. And we always have a weird banter when we begin. <laughs> weird. I think it's amazing, but that's okay. Welcome. <laughs> um, well, I am so excited to, first of all, this is, you know, maybe took the podcast to, you know, any opportunity to get, get, get together and say hello. I'm so excited to have you. Uh, thanks for, thanks for joining me. Thanks for thinking of me. I always love our conversations. That's the point. I mean, conversations and like I, you know, this whole idea is that you know, let's just see where these conversations go, picking people that I know we can talk to. Um, okay. So let's, let's see, I'll just give a little bit, you know, I feel like I've known you in these, these moments in time, you know, first you came on my radar at LinkedIn, you were head of marketing, you ran talent connect. Someone said, you have to meet this person. I sort of met you. And, and then I was just like, spend another year trying to like, I need, need to really connect with this person. And then we became friends and we've done work together. And then you went to, did you go somewhere before Instacart or did you go from LinkedIn? I was at Pandora before Instacart leading employee engagement, employee experience there. But then after, after, after LinkedIn, sorry, I was at Instacart. Oh, Pandora was first, right? Then Pandora was first, then LinkedIn. Okay. And then I went to Instacart. Yeah. To go. So just share high level a little bit about who you kind of your, your background and 
set the stage for the expertise that you're bringing to us. Sure. So I've been really lucky, as you know, Craig, I've had sort of two careers is how I like to say it. I had one career in marketing. So the first half of my career was in traditional marketing, B2B, B2C, uh, content marketing, thought leadership marketing, brand marketing, event marketing. And then I kind of fell into the HR space. Like I think some of us do. Um, and I really kind of got into what we now call employer branding, but it didn't really have a name at the time. It wasn't an established category when I was working at Pandora. And when I was there, they were like, you're doing a great job with that. How about you also take culture, employee experience, social impact, which I did. And I was like, I love this space. This is my jam. These all play together really well. And over time, I also picked up a remit in, in addition to all of those with employee comms and inclusion. So I, I so I've done a wide spectrum of work, but those all play together uh-huh. across strategy, which is great. And I did that in-house at companies and now I consult. So two years ago, as you know, I started consulting. And so now I consult across, you know, everything from employer brand to employee engagement, employee comms and social impact for, for companies. And I love it. You do. What do I you, love it. What do you love about it. I like that I get to go and work with different companies, different size companies, different industries. They're all similar challenges and opportunities, but they're all at different stages. Mm -hmm. And I like popping in and doing different aspects of that spectrum because some people need engagement help, right? Some people need employer brand help. Some people, then it leads sometimes to employee comms help. And so I like that I get to kind of bop around and help different types of problems at different companies. I think it's really fun. I get, th- I get that. I think I got lucky to it at, at my years at Culture Amp to be at a company, but getting to do that with so many companies, I think it, it filled that. I'm the same way. And now as in consulting myself, I just, you're right. I love getting in, working on something and not getting too consumed. There's something about, and I've worked with, with even people that I've worked with on projects that you have to be careful if you get too deep. It's not as a bad thing. It just changes. And to, to stay on the periphery a little bit allows a different perspective and you can kind of get pulled into the into the ecosystem, so to speak, and become part. Yeah. Yes. And I, I don't know if you feel this way, but consulting, I mean, I still believe in like, I get in and I nudge people because I still feel like I got to nudge people to change, right? So much of what we have to do is transformation and change. But if they don't listen, I'm like, well, okay, well, I'm not, I guess, as not that I'm not invested, but I'm not as like frustrated with it. And if they don't listen to me, then, okay, that's their choice. And probably 80% of the time they come back and go, okay, let's try that again. What you said to do. <laughs> so they had to, you had to, you had to tell them they had to go realize it and come back to you and say, yes, yes. Or when I'm in house and like, especially when you have the weight of employee engagement or inclusion or diversity initiatives on your shoulders and companies don't do it. I feel like I've failed my like colleagues. I feel like I've let down the people that I'm supposed to be representing. And that is like a deep wound that's hard to deal with. And it's exhausting, right? You feel like, obviously I'm going to do the best I can, but when I'm in house, that feeling of like, oh, I've let these people down. It's so emotionally draining. I don't know if you can relate to that, but that's a feeling I, I felt. It's that, it's that piece when you're internal, like so much weight, you own it. And the truth is, do you really own DE and I, does anybody own, you know, but like when you own those pieces, you take such, if you're a person who takes responsibility, and I just, you know, as I go deeper, I mean, I guess I saw this in my work as, as a people scientist, but that I can go sometimes I'll work with the chief people officer and prepare. We'll talk about their survey results and then I'll go present to the leadership team. And it's just interesting. And I don't think it's, I don't think it's, I think it's just a kind of psychological setup where when you're in a system, there's a lot of baggage, there's stuff, there's relationships. And that if somebody that doesn't have any of that comes in and reiterates, sees the same sort of thing or reiterates it from the outside and they trust that it's not, you know, spoiled, 
that it, it lands differently when somebody comes in from the outside and says it than when somebody from the inside says it. And I think that's probably always been there with consultants. It's a weird thing, right? Because it's so frustrating to work with chief people officers where I'm going in and saying the same thing they've been saying and somehow and they listen. hundred percent. I could not agree more. I was just telling this, I was having breakfast with someone. I was telling them the same thing. They're like, you're hired for this expertise. And then after a couple of years, they're like, eh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, that's a good idea, but we're not going to listen. And I, when I, now that I consult, one of the first things I'll tell people in particular with employer brand, because it's still so new, it's usually teams of one is I'll say, listen, I'm going to come in and I'm going to say things that I bet you've been saying. I bet you've been screaming, pulling your hair, your hair out. If people listen to me, don't take it personally. It's not you. It's this weird sort of dichotomy that exists. And just know, like, I'm here to advocate for you. I'm here to back you up. And so it's not, it's not me that's really doing this, but think of me as an extension of you. And I'm going to help you get it across the line. Because I think you just need to address it. This is a plug for us consultants. We do things you can't. <laughs> but it, no, it's a, but it's a, it is a powerful reason why sometimes to, to work with somebody from the outside. Right. But I think there's an acknowledgement of, you know, listen, I, I know that you know this and I'm not saying anything different than what you've already said. And let's just acknowledge that. But for some weird reason, like I have a little more clout. So let me help you. I'm here to work for you. Yeah. You know, let's, um, let's go back a little bit. Cause I love, even I, you know, you mentioned something of the fact that it, you know, it doesn't, it's new and doesn't feel new, but I do. I remember it coming on the scene. This idea of employer branding or employee branding. So I imagine if I'm, I, I mean, I think I get it, but still, it's newer. So, how would you describe it? Yeah, how would you describe that function? Um, yeah, like it's it's a newer thing. So speak a little bit about that. I mean, I, I yeah. learn like how do you describe and think about employer brand, employee branding. Yes. So it's weird because, right, I've been doing this work for over a decade now. And it's it's funny. It's like, finally, now people understand what it is, but they don't quite understand what it is, to your point. And so the best way I describe it to people is that employer branding is really all about perception. Mm-hmm. If you think about the tactics of it, and then within employer branding, there's a subset of recruitment marketing, which we can talk about too. But employer branding is really about what is the perception of a company? Is this company seen as a good company? What's the perception in market amongst candidates, amongst consumers sometimes, right? Because employer brand can bleed over into consumer issues more and more. And is the company known for being a good company? Does it take care of people? Is it a place where people would like to come and work there when they choose to go to work? Are they going to choose you? And explaining and articulating why, why it's special and what's unique to you. And a lot of the tactics are around storytelling the why to candidates and employees earlier on the journey. And it's something that can be used for candidates for attraction, but employer brand, not often enough uh, used this way, should also be used to drive employee engagement. Because the same kind of marketing or BDE business to employee storytelling that attracts candidates also can help reiterate to people why they've chosen to work there, what you're doing, the mission, the impact. And so it's a two-way kind of street often only used for hiring, but should also be used for employee engagement. And internally, I mean, I think a lot about, you know, I think my work probably bleeds over a little bit just when I'm talking to a company about, for instance, I'll run a survey and... I'll say, you know, you can pick all these things and go do it. If people don't know, you know, I'd rather you pick one or two things and go back to your organization and say, here's what we're doing. Here's what, even if you're doing other things behind the scenes, but I think that's, a, you know, to your point, like you could be doing all this great stuff. And sometimes I'll watch organizations where the, the people just don't know that you're doing it. So it's, it's sad because you're doing the work and there's a perception issue and that perception issue can be disastrous and engagement. Absolutely. And, and to your point on the data piece, right? Like, 
If you don't have engaged employees, a big part of tactics for employer branding is storytelling. And a lot of that is employee testimonials and people writing reviews or being able to kind of, you know, uh, have uh, people showcase and use brand advocates. If people are not engaged, you don't, you can't do employer branding because you need brand advocates. You need champions. You need engagement people to be like, yeah, we like working here. It's a good place to work, to be able to talk about it. You can't do an authentic employer branding. You can say one thing and, oh, we do this X, Y, and Z, but we live in a culture that's loud and public. So if it's unauthentic, people will find out. And so the two are not mutually exclusive. They need to be connected together. So our worlds, as you know, are very tightly connected. Nothing's worse. You know, you, if, if you've done all of this marketing to say one story and then a news article comes out, it, it almost it's it and, and the media and the world loves it. They eat it up. Like, look at you say one thing and do another. So the days of you just getting to the, you're, it's really amplifying. I mean, that's how I think about it. Do the real work focus on the engagement the days of you just get to market and create what you want to the world is not is over so if if it's totally. it's the worst thing in the world totally there has to be there there and so when i when i come in and i work either at inside a company or as a consultant and we're like hey make us a top employer of choice i'm like okay what do we have to work with let me see your engagement data that's like the first thing i'm like let's see what's working what do you have to say here are the top three things that candidates and employees want right now what do you have let's look at your data to see where you're strong if it's not strong, we got to work internally and get our house in order and create that first because we have to have something to talk about, to your point. So they're incredibly connected. And I don't think people think of them connected very often. They just, yeah, they just want to do the branding and you're coming and saying, okay, well, let's talk about what you're branding. Yeah. That? Tell me, because it's interesting too, you're going into organizations. How would you describe, or is there a breakdown? Where are organizations in leveraging data? Or what do you find? It's the companies you work with, are they all... Are they all pretty far along or what do you find around that or on data data yeah. usage you mean when they're listening and understanding their people i think that they all have different levels of sophistication with data depending on the company some are smaller and they don't have like a formal you know a data collection tool or employee engagement tool um and they sort of do ad hoc sort of surveys other people maybe do once a year and they're like oh you know our our data is definitely from a, you know, a year ago. And I'm like, Ooh, maybe we should do a pulse and find out like some more current topic before we start doing glass door reviews and see if people are going to want to say favorable things. So I find that it runs the gamut. Um, I find that most leaders have sort of set a survey cadence from almost like a few years ago and they haven't updated it to what's going on and how we're all working kind of remotely and hybrid. And that there probably needs to be an update of how often we survey people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know about you. Are you finding that too as you talk to organizations? I always, well, you know, now that I'm on, that's an interesting question. When I worked at Culture, clearly I worked with a lot more companies that were using tools, but I was also out in the world. I, I still had a vibe and I was still blown away at how many companies were really not doing much when there's not from a better than, but like now it's like you've seen the light, you know, it's possible. And then you talk to a company and they say, we're good. We're running a Google survey and you're just, there's so many layers that I know about, but, and they think they're doing a great job. I think now that I'm on my own, I'm a little more blown away because I'm more out in the wilderness and and having these conversations and assuming that if I talk to a 300 or 400 person company, of course, they've come along with this. And then you find out that's what you're doing. Like, and I think the, the frustrating part, okay, here, here's what the frustrating part for me is because I work with leadership teams. Every time I've run a, you know, a, a, in a robust survey that's well-designed, like real, you know, right. I'm working with a pretty solid tool. There's always this experience of I go in and when it's over, I share some things with the leadership team that validates what they knew. 
And I always, always, and there's a, maybe there's a, a variation on how much reveal stuff that is counter to what they believed. Mm, like, I, you know, mm -hmm. we, like we, but I think what's the powerful thing for me is when I've done that 30, 40, 50, hundred times and seen this, it holds, how can I walk into a room of leaders without any sort of data? And they're telling me what we should be focused on. Uh, and I just know that, I mean, maybe it's the same consulting thing for me. Like I'm not going to, I can't, how can we do this? When I know that part of what you think is happening is not true, that you possibly mm -hmm. not be listening at scale in a moment in time and understand what's going on. And now I'm watching you make decisions that are impacting lives. And you're going to be six months down the road, moving on to the next thing while that decision you make today is going to start impacting employees. So that's the struggle I said, and how to communicate that to organizations, because I've seen, it's like, I've seen the light. I know. So I yeah. in good faith work with an organization and starting to get into solutions if we don't even have data. And that's where I kind mm -hmm. of, my whole thing is around that. The irony too is these are organizations often, right, that are really big on data and every other side of their business, but then not on people data, which is just lagging behind. And it's so, it is so fascinating for such a data-driven business and technology that they don't have that practice. And I guess the other thing that's interesting that I'm seeing is people not segmenting their data. So when they're like, we have great engagement, I'm like, okay, well, let's look at your demographic cuts of, you know, your black employees, your women employees, like employees in certain markets that are far removed from headquarters. And oftentimes the aha moment of, oh, wow, I didn't realize this department was so much lower engagement than this department, or this, you know, group of people was so much lower. Why is that? And the stories that that segmentation tells is really powerful. It's, too. This, it's kind of like, so you've had that same experience that I've had when you know that you go, okay, that's a great score. But you have you have 500 employees or a thousand employees. I know that if I impact that, you've got some teams that are abysmal, and you don't know it because rolled up together, it looks good. Or if I open up engagement, some of the questions are around um, we call it say, stay, and thrive, right? The three core buckets of engagement: Are you proud? Would you recommend? That's the say. Stay is you know I see myself here in two years time, or I'm currently looking. And thrive is the motivation. Where I'm going with this is oftentimes I'll roll up into a good score, but if I open it and I dig in, I find that there's looming turnover problems in certain departments based on the stake question. And I always, you know, think to myself, like, if you can't pull it apart, like, again, it goes back to when I know what I know, you know, we just rolled out some, uh, a result. The results were amazing across the board for this company we're working with. But when I dig in, there's still problems for each leader to know about and for each, and it can be, you're right. When you roll it up, it can be, it can be, it can be lost. Yeah. The other part of it too is, is in my world, right. Is the employee comms part and how do you just address it? Right. Cause no company's perfect. And oftentimes people, sometimes companies don't want to share their data. They don't want to talk about it. They want to sweep it under the rug. And I'm like, own it. Like the, the, just being honest and open and saying, you know what, we've done some things. Well, we've done some things not so great, but we we've heard you the, the power of employees hearing we've heard you is so simple and it resonates so much. And when you say we've heard you, and like you said, we're going to focus on these three things that you have told us need to change. It is so powerful. Just that humility with employees. So anyway, all these things play together. Oh, I love it. I want to call it a key point because running a survey and never sharing anything back is not, we've heard you by the way. To anyone <laughs> listening, because I think a lot of organizations will run a survey and they see it like any other data gathering tool. Like, ah, oh, the leadership wants data. When you go ask people for data like that and you never go back and say anything, you undermine. I mean, I almost say, yes. don't do it. Like, you undermine the listening. Everything. And it's not, oh my God. of course, it's not your marketing automation tool. You can't just, it's not your HRIS. You can't just go pull data out of it. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I got so excited. I want to ask, I meant to ask you this. Sorry, I, we might be taking a tangent, but I swear it's related. Yeah. You can cut me off if we're like going too far. 
did you see the um the scorecard that the NFL did? No. Oh my gosh, this is so cool. Can we nerd out for a second or yeah, something? Yeah, yeah, tell me. This is totally related to the topic, I swear. So there's a podcast called Freakonomics that I'm not like, a, I'm not an avid listener. Like I'm a casual pop-in listener. Mm-hmm. And they did a story about the NFL players uh, union or association, basically. So all of these NFL players are part of this association. They're part of this union and they're all their own, you know, individual union that operates with different clubs, right? They're a $4 billion industry, the NFL. For the first time ever, the union did this um, workplace survey that they've never done. And it surveyed all the players of all the teams. And then they did a public facing, you can go find this right now, scorecard, report card. And there are teams that huge national football league teams that have F minuses. And they rate them in things like locker room, like equipment, you know, like how how the players' families were treated. And what they uncovered was that these, you know, players get recruited to these massive teams, so much money. And then they'd be, some of them have old facilities where like players are showering off after game. There's clogged drains and they're literally standing in the players next to them, blood and mud. There are players where they bring their families every Sunday and there was no place for their families to like be shielded from fans throwing beer in extreme weather. And there are players who are spending hundreds of thousands of dollars of their own money to get a suite for their families. There was all of these just like, you know, the players were like, we get a, a performance review after every game on every play, how we performed uh-huh. and we're demanded excellence, but then we have these awful conditions of how we train like unsafe weight rooms. I mean, listen on and on and on. And it was so eye opening that, you know, you would just think of an organization like that would of course being having the best state of the art facilities, the best things for their players. Right. And there was all of these holes. And so, so many teams were trying to fix these conditions because it's affecting their brand to recruit people. So anyway, it's totally something you should check out because it's uh, fascinating. I will. And I, I guess I'm, my mind's going to looking at like real world for all of us. And I think, you know, you see the outside, you see this high performance, but it's that, it's that whole concept. Like it's the, like it's the same thing we see in organizations where they're not like push, 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 get it where you can out of them, but not realizing the value of taking care of the people, like what you're going to, I would love to see how many, like an F minus, if they could get it up to a C and then how the team performs. Right. And similarly, right to what we were just talking about, there are teams, the lowest scoring teams for like the podcast, they reach out to them and they were like, no comment. And of course the highest scoring teams were like, oh my gosh, we will have the best family, you know, family suite in the league next year. I guarantee you, like they're so invested and they care. So anyway, it was just kind of like a little, wow, it was like a little microscope on our world, uh, but in a different context that was so, I think, eye-opening to people if they don't understand why surveying and data and engagement and, and employer brand are all tied together. Also what you're talking about, I think sometimes when I say that I work with data, I think everybody's mind goes to the, I judge that mind goes to the place where my mind goes like, oh, boring data. And I think when you say it like that, it's not the data. It's when you can get the data in front of the right people that like things change, right? I mean, I, I, was, I, was, I was sharing with you simply, you know, I was working with the CEO. He had just come on. There's a lot going on, but one of their offices and he knew it was struggling, but he had a lot. And he was a brand new CEO to deal with. And then we ran a survey and when visually he saw the difference of the score of that location. So talk about breaking down different in two weeks, he was on a plane to spend time with that office. And he did that twice over six months. We ran the survey again. There's a 15 point increase. And I think a lot of it was the simply that he showed up, but it's not 
data wonky crunching numbers. It's simply getting valid data in front of people that they trust and believe. And then their behaviors shift. Like, yeah. What gets know. measured gets managed. It's yeah. just as easy as that. What you, okay. So it's interesting. You were talking about, you know, or when I, when I first started doing this work, I worked a lot with, you know, people that worked with current employees and sometimes I come across talent people and they say, what's employee engagement? You know, how's this relate to me? And I think one of the things is I had that conversation and talked to more people. And I think you hit on this was I would say to organizations that are doing this work to go to your possible candidates and say the same thing you do internally. Like, just so you know, we run this so often in our last survey, here's what we're doing. Well, here's what we're not doing. Well, here's what we're doing about it. And I think it's, it's almost like a flip where you think you're supposed to, the whole idea of selling is sell the sell, how great it is, how great it is. But like how many companies are willing to share like that? And what signal do you send to the employee when they're out getting a whole bunch of, you know, hogwash from everybody else? Yeah. I said hogwash. I like it. <laughs> I love an old time. I love an old timey phrase. <laughs> Amazing it's too is what I'm saying. It's too <laughs> Simply uh, outrage. So uh, you hit on that. I thought it was really interesting and like how, but maybe you can speak more to that because I think sometimes recruit re the recruiting function and talent doesn't always see their place in employee engagement and what's happening after the employee gets there. Um, yeah. I don't know. It was going back. To yeah. Something. I mean, employees engaged employees are your best recruiters, right? There's all this data that LinkedIn has around how people are more likely to listen to a peer than a company themselves talking about working there, right? So when you have engaged employees talking about a company, posting on LinkedIn, saying why they like something, it's a lot more powerful in persuading people. And when you think about the sort of candidate journey, there's multiple journeys and stages. One area we think around perception around employer brand, right, is the peer search and reputational phase. Like, what do I find out about this company? What are my peers saying? Are there benchmarks? Have they? Do they have awards? So I mean, when you think about like the Great Places to Work award, that actually has to be survey data. Like the only real external facing survey that exists that that backs into an award like that is Great Places to Work because you have to have majority of your employees, both part-time and full-time employees, survey high enough to score. Mm. And that's why that that's like considered a benchmark is because it's actually going back to data. Or for example, human rights campaign, which has the corporate equality index, which is saying these are the top LGBTQ plus employers to work for that support people. It has to go back to the data of those employees, the policies you have in place, the practices. So it's interesting because when people talk about this disconnect, I'm like, okay, well, like what awards do we have? You know, what are people saying? It, it does. It goes back to like the actual tangible measurement of what the company's doing. So I like to always say I had a team I think we said this at Pandora too, but at Instacart, our little team's motto was, you know, employer branding is talking your talk and employer employee engagement is walking your talk. I like that. That's good. Let's switch gears a little bit. Let's talk about, um, I have to imagine you have experienced it just like I have. I felt like in a blink of an eye a year ago, probably a little over a year ago, when the, the banks started, uh, you know, having issues and everything shifted fast. So I'm very curious so where I'm really going with that is this current state, like today, you know, versus two years ago, how different it was, what, um, you know, companies are doing layoffs and, you know, bigger, you know, better, not bigger and less with more. How are you, how's that showing up in your world? How's that showing up in employer branding or in the employee engagement work you're doing? Just any, just thoughts, like, let's get, I want to get kind of like the, the current state of things and what you're seeing and thinking. Yeah, let's get current. Um, it definitely played into my world. I worked on all sides of it. You know, when I was in 2021, it was like, we can't hire fast enough. We need to tell our story. We need to hire. And then 
So employer branding was rocking, right? There was a reason, quote unquote, to do it. But the reality is employer branding is something that should happen all year round, right? Because of what we talked about around engagement. And also it's actually more important in times like layoffs or hiring freezes than even when you're hiring because of how that's going to land, right? So uh, I had a shift in Q4 into Q1 of moving from employer branding for hiring support to kind of tapping into my employee comms remit and my employer branding remit around supporting layoffs. And I think something that people do not think about is like we said, it is more important on the way out, how you treat people, how people feel on the way out. They remember that, right? And so there was a lot of companies that were bad actors and did not do things carefully, did not do things thoughtfully. Employer branding should be at that table anytime there's a layoff, right? Because just being able to communicate we have these EVPs, right? The employer value proposition, which is the give get of the company. Here's what I company am going to provide to you for you talent, your unique scout, you know, skills and talents and everything you bring to the table. And that is a promise to bring people in. If you don't fulfill that promise on the way out, people are like, you are completely a lie. I feel, you know, I got the wool pulled over my eyes. You didn't really care. So all these companies were promising. We carry this caring culture, super compassionate. And then they were treated completely inhumanely on the way out, right? So, so much of what I worked on with companies was how to be as human as possible, how to work through that in a way while it's tough, that's just realistic, that's kind. And how can you deliver on your employer brand promise in packages and layoffs and how you're communicating? And so it was a big, it's actually a big part of my work. You bet it is. It it has me think, I I think the statement was attributed to Stuart Butterfield, who was, I think he was the CEO or maybe still is the CEO of Slack, but I think I heard his chief people officer. It was a longer story about a, a situation they went through and he was pushing for some really above and beyond benefits when they when they let go of people. And after it was all over, the the chief people officer asked him, why, why did you go through all that? Why did we do that? And he, and he said something that really stuck with me from because I love culture. He said, you can learn a lot about a culture by the way they bury their dead. And, but I think that's if you really even look at tribes or whatever, like there's how you bring people in, but how, you know, Look, I'm a, I'm a veteran. I think it's a problem in the military that there's an indoctrination in the way you come in, but then we let our vets just out into the world without any sort of exit. Mm. And um, it's, you know, traumatic to go through these things. And I think that I think companies just want to, it's so painful. They want to do it, get it over with and, and, and move on. And it's, it's not real because everybody's watching and the people left behind. If you don't, you don't have some reverence for those that came before. What's, what's everybody else that's there thinking? Am I important? Do I matter? So I love that you hit on that. And I think it's just such an important reminder of if you're really into culture, your culture follows all the way from how you attract somebody to how do you let them move move on. We were both at LinkedIn and I felt when I was there, at least there was an interesting concept that if, if it didn't work out, everybody was 100% responsible. We hired you too. So now yeah. we responsibly unwind this. Absolutely. By the way, side note, veterans are my favorite population to work with. They're some of the most incredible underutilized talent. I just want to put that out there. So I'm sure we could talk a whole other podcast about that. But yeah, I think the goal is, do people want to come back? Do people want to boomerang back with you? I mean, when I was at Pandora, we had to do a layoff and I worked on it. And um, we really were, I mean, every from the top down, head of HR, leaders, head of talent was like, how do we make this feel not as awful as it's going to feel? How do we make this feel okay? And they really took care of people with packages. They let them, you know, they let the layoff date be pushed so people could vest equity. They let people keep their laptops. Something I tell people all the time, one of the simplest gestures you can do is let people keep their laptops because so many of us have had jobs forever. We don't have laptops. And then you're like, oh my God, I don't even know. I can't even get online. How do I job search? Right. So, and they get recycled anyway. So just a simple, one of the most 
high impact gestures for a layoff is to let somebody keep their laptop. Um, and then, you know, sometimes people go above and beyond and say, we're going to bring in resume writers. We're going to give coaching. Like those things really matter. And people who got laid off at Pandora were super disappointed. They all still loved their time. They remembered it fondly. They gladly advocated for them. And that's like, that's what you want. And if communicated well, like I think most people understand what's, I mean, I've communicated well, like this is, this is a tough game and there's venture funding. And like, I think people can understand I, this is a good opportunity to share some, some data that, that was some of the, some data, some research that was done at culture amp, but I think it's important to share if anybody's listening on this topic. And that is when, when there was a big round of layoffs at the beginning of COVID. So they went back and looked at, at kind of engagement scores and layoffs. And they found that companies that were on the top of the heap, when it came to engagement scores before layoffs happened, it took about 12 to 18 months to get back to that engagement score after a layoff and those were those were the top companies and i think the message there is to leaders this idea that you can just do it and move on which is understand it has to happen i'm not i understand business but like weighing that i think sometimes they undervalue that and say is the cost worth it and do you realize and are you intentionally going into this and and then i see the layoffs and they cut listening programs because and i'm like you're kidding me you're doing all this and then you're sending the signal that we're done listening to you and i it, it it kind of blows me away because like you're they're missing sometimes they're making these short-term actions and missing you know i mean I, i've said your investment culture today you know that matters tomorrow and i think a lot of people yeah. are decisions that are going to undermine their organization in the future i could not agree more and that you totally hit on something that i absolutely see and the other part of the work i've been doing around the state right of the state of what's happening is so people who have survived layoffs right they are under, there's not as many resources, they're overworked, they're burnt out, right? So there's a massive level of disengagement. We've talked about this. We're at the lowest levels of employee engagement globally ever. The beginning of the year was 20%. It shot up to a whopping 34% now, not that much better, a little improvement. And people have stopped just acknowledging the glue, like acknowledge the glue and thank people for just the little tasks that they're taking on more. They're working with more with less to your point. There's just such a need to be able to really like swarm around. Okay. What's the feedback? What could we improve? What are the three things that would move the needle the most? How do we just acknowledge people, let them know that we appreciate that they're staying on. And instead there's this feeling of you're lucky to have a job, stop complaining. And you know what? That's only going to go so far until the economy comes back when all those people will leave. And there's data that shows that people are five times more likely to leave when the economy gets better if they are disengaged in their job. Yeah, of course. It's amazing. And the other, you know, it's funny you're talking about that because I was looking also recently at the, the Gallup State of the, the Global Workforce Report. And global I love that report. I love it so much. Plug, if you go to my YouTube page, I do a 15 minute walkthrough with graphics and I- You, know, you do? I summarized it. I thought that would be a good way. How do I not know this? I'm going to watch it. Sorry, go I'm on. Marketing. Well, I need an I need a branding person. Do you know anybody? I'll help you. I'll help you. I might know somebody. Go on. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Oh, well, I just, you know, they said something that hit on something that I've said behind the scenes in working with companies and in, in surveys is that it's our eyes and our brain go very quickly to like the, the, the positive, like, oh, who are our strong are engaged and, and the, like the red are actively disengaged. But I think oftentimes organizations miss the neutrals, the ones that's in the middle, and those are the ones that can are going to fall either to either side. And then if you work with the with the, the middle group, and where I'm going with that in the Gallup, it was like 60% globally are are the are the what are they now they call it, the 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 disengaged, not actively disengaged, but the disengaged. Yeah, the disengaged. And their point said the same thing: focus on the middle. Like that's your opportunity there. And I think 
you know, you're, you're, you know, you're happy people are happy. Keep, you know, keep an eye on them, but talk to those middle people, the neutral ones, because that's where your biggest opportunity. And as you move that, what I've seen in a lot of scores is that moves and you're pulling, you're pulling the reds into the neutral. Yes. Um, you know, so it's just, and I, they said that really clearly. And I thought I was like, yes, they're saying what I've been saying, focus on the middle. Yes. I, I could not agree more. I also love, like, this is such an old quote, but like, you know, Stephen Covey's seven habits of highly effective people. Like that book is like, and everyone's ready. I tell you. Oh, nanny, I tell you in my day. Uh, but it's just, there is a quote in it that I think is timeless in regards to this work. And he says, you can buy the hands, but you cannot buy the art, the heart. You have to earn the heart. And mm -hmm. it's so true. Like, it's like, if I was to encapsulate employee engagement in a nutshell, I'm like, that's it. Like mic drop. That is what it is. And 60 years ago, it was more like the hand to heart ratio has changed so much. And we're still operating in a world where like, you know, the hands are less important these days. It's, it's, it's particularly more and more with AI and everything coming on heart's going to be the difference. Exactly. Yes. So it, above it, beyond. yeah. So anyway, I know that's an old timey reference, but it's still, like it's still a banger, man. Stephen Covey's still a banger. I mean, <laughs> what's the good, and good to great. We can get into that. Oh my gosh. Good to great. I remember that book. I know. I actually, have you read any books lately where you're like, that hits on it? I haven't been finding any recently other than Simon Sinek's The Infinite Game, but like is there anything else you've seen that you're like, that's a good read? Not recent, recent, but I think it's something that connects the two of us and it's let it's more recent. And that was um I got turned on to Fred Kaufman's work when I was at when I was at LinkedIn. So Fred Kaufman had done a lot with Jeff Wiener at the time. Um and he wrote what he wrote two books, but I felt like the second one was a better version of the first one. It was called The uh, Conscious, is it Conscious Leader? I, oh you know, yes. Like, read it and like I like there's moments where like I get excited and like my heart gets going and like like I'm supposed to go do something right now and I'm on it and like I don't know what I'm supposed to go do. Um, but he spoke a lot about you know the, this idea of your, your job is not like he talks about soccer teams and the, like if you're down and you got a minute in the game and their team's got a point like is your goalie's job to sit and protect the goal like he's no is it everybody you're, like you're gonna lose that like seeing the big picture and realizing that your job is not your job we're all kind of interconnected in this and how do we kind of this idea of amplify others. And I think that, that, you know, that was a big one. There's, I'm looking at my little, my book stack, but that was probably the last one where I got super excited. Yeah. I, I mean, Brene Brown, Daring Greatly really. Oh, Brene Brown is great. I'm a big, have you read Carla Harris's stuff? She's the best. Who she, what's she write? Oh my God. She's amazing. She has a bunch of books. She has, um, so she, she has, okay, hold on. Like I need to like, I don't want to misquote myself here on her titles of books. So Carla Harris is someone I found out about when I was at LinkedIn. I'm typing listeners in case you hear that little click, click, click. So she has lead to win, expect to win, strategize to win, um, and expect to win. And she is amazing. She's been on Wall Street for 20 plus years. She's like black woman, badass in Wall Street, one of the early sort of like women leaders in Wall Street. So she's worked in hard, tough environments. Came up and Yes. And she just has really great nuggets around leadership, around how to market yourself, around like getting seats at the table if you don't have one. And she has the energy of Oprah times 10. Oh. Like when I was at LinkedIn and I was doing Talent Connect, you know, I was asking Shannon Brayton, who at the time was the CMO. And I was like, Shannon, who are some of the best speakers you've ever seen? And she was like, the best speaker I've ever seen is Carla Harris. And so we brought her in. And she did talent kind because she was phenomenal. And so her energy, any of her TED talks, she's also a gospel singer on the side. So I think that's part of it is she brings that energy to the table, but she just has incredible learnings from her time. At, I mean, she's still there. I think she's 
I think she's on the chair of uh, Morgan Stanley, but she's just, her books around leadership are really inspiring. Awesome. I wrote that name down to everybody else. There's a new name. I didn't even know that. And if it's coming from you, I'm, I'm going to check it out. Well, like I told you that we would start this with some point to start and see where it went. And I, like I said, here we are. And that just flew by. So I could I, talk to you forever. I love these conversations and it re-inspires me to the work and that there's a lot of us out there doing this. And it, I think it continues this idea that we can really change. There's a moment in time happening right now. Like somebody said to me the other day, it's a, a CHRO. She says, I feel like I'm sitting in the middle of the rubble. And I was like, sad for her. Cause I know how hard that is. And I was also excited. Like, yep. And now it's time we could take, this is the moment that yeah. we like I think COVID and everything kind of blew it all up and there's an opportunity if we, but we need to people that believe this can't sit on the sidelines. We have to come together. We have to be together. We have to form. This is the moment. Like we talked a lot about it before, but now is I believe a moment in time that we can really rethink the world our kids are going to work in. I agree completely. And if I can just like say one thing on that, cause I know we're at time, I think being a consultant, I'm so inspired because for every you know, for the 10 bad actors that exist that we're all seeing have news stories come up all the time. I meet five to 15 incredible leaders who really believe in people, the impact people make, and they really want to change. And they have good intention of like, how do I just make this better? And that's inspiring because there is a great generation of leaders and people and HR and business who are really caring about making a different type of workplace. And I just want to put that out there. Cause I think when you're at the same company, it's hard to see the forest through the trees, right? Like, but it exists and it's happening. So I actually feel inspired, even though it doesn't feel like an inspiring time. I'm actually really inspired around this time of work. Me too. And I think the last point on that is, and, and that, that I share with you is that it's easy. I think I have some empathy realizing that I think I've also by building conferences and talking to the leaders, there's so many good ones that I don't think it's a big, it's a big charade. I think it's just hard. And when the going gets tough, they don't know what to do. They want it. They don't know what to do. And that's where people like you and I, and maybe consulting where we can work with more organizations than one, just help, you know, like, because I don't, I don't buy it. It's just a big lip service. I've seen too many passionate senior people leaders and companies and they're struggling. It's hard. They, they, they do mean it. They're just struggling on how to get it done. You know? Yeah, I totally do. Well, I'm always inspired anytime we talk. I'm glad that you're doing this podcast. I can't wait to listen to all of them because I think we all need a little inspiration in our day, you know? I love, and I love their impromptu, just getting people that are out there doing the work to just share what they're hearing and thinking. And the nice thing that means we can do it over, you know, there can be multiple conversations. It's not like just one conversation, you know, so we can do this again. Um, I just appreciate you as a colleague, a friend, and someone that's, that's, that's been around. And thank you for trusting me to do this. Oh, right back at you, friend. Who nanny? All right, we're getting on that. <laughs> oh, yeah.